welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Today, we are excited to be checking in about holiday fiction with Landis Wade and Stacey Edgar. Landis Wade is a recovering trial lawyer, host of the Charlotte Readers Podcast, where he has conducted more than 250 author interviews, and author of books and stories, whose third book, The Christmas Redemption, won the holiday category of the 12th Annual National Indie Excellence Awards and was the 2018 holiday category honorable mention in the 10th Annual Reader's Favorite Awards. He won the 2016 North Carolina State Bar Short Story Contest for The Deliberation and received awards for his nonfiction pieces, The Cape Fear Debacle and First Dance. His short work has appeared in writersdigest.com, The Charlotte Observer, Flying South, fiction on the web, and in more than six anthologies, including by Daniel Boone's Footsteps. His novel, Deadly Declarations, releases spring 2022. Stacey Agdern is an award-winning former bookseller who has reviewed romance novels in multiple formats and given talks about various aspects of the romance genre. She's a proud romance writer who incorporates Jewish characters and traditions into her stories so that people who grew up like she did can see themselves take center stage on the page. She lives in New York, not far from her favorite hockey team's practice facility. So welcome, Landis and Stacy. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here on the podcast. I love your podcast, and I love talking holiday books, and I'm looking forward to hearing what Stacy has to say, too. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm just going to echo basically what Aunt Linda said. Like, thank you so much for uh, inviting me on the podcast. I'm really, really excited to chat about holiday books, Hanukkah books, Christmas books, like all the things, and just chat about writing in general. I'm just really excited. Well, I'm excited to hear from Becca, too, because she's writing a holiday story right now. So, and I am like, not a holiday fiction person. So I'm I'm excited to get a little bit more into it. And I got Stacy's book and I got Landis's books and we're going to jump right in with both feet. So why don't we start with the first question about what do you enjoy about writing holiday fiction and maybe why were you gravitated to it? Stacy, why don't you take it off? Okay. Um, so I think one of the things I think about all the time when I write a holiday story, whether it's a Hanukkah story or a story for another holiday, is the warmth of the holiday in particular and the comfort that it brings. I wrote Miracles and Menorahs after a very, very intense period where I wrote four short stories that were based on material I was processing mentally at the time, giving myself a, for lack of a better explanation for it, political happy ever after that I couldn't find in reality. And when I finished those stories, I needed something comfortable. I needed something soft. I needed something warm. And what ended up, you know, coming out of me, what I ended up going back to was Hanukkah and ended up writing Miracles and Menorahs as a result of that, which is my first uh, single title book, which came out in 2020. And yeah, that's, that's, that's really what it is about writing holiday stories. It's the warmth of them. It's the comfort. It's the, it's the joy that you find within each holiday, whatever you're writing about. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of echoing going on here today because I love, I love uh, 
Stacy's answer there, uh, the warmth of the holiday season. Um, I kind of got into writing by accident. I was a trial lawyer for 35 years and I was in, entering that middle fifties and I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. And it certainly wasn't filling out a timesheet every day. And so I kind of got into it accidentally uh, because my wife always loved uh, the movie Miracle on 34th Street. And it came on a Thanksgiving and the court season is kind of slow between then and Christmas. And so I started with this. I wonder if I could write a maybe just a short story set entirely in the courtroom on Christmas Eve and kind of see what happens. And it kind of took off from there. And it was just a lot of fun. I mean, you know, to think about why you write these, it's I mean, they're happy. They're exciting. Uh, you know, whether it's Hanukkah or Christmas or whatever other holiday you're celebrating, there's an excitement to the holiday of, of not knowing the expectation, right? And that's what all books are, right? You're trying to find out what's going to happen. But in the end, you know it's going to have a happy resolution and, and it's going to be fun. And I, I'm so excited to be sharing, you know, the microphone today with Stacy because I just we just had a grandson, our first, and our daughter, uh, Jordan, married Julia, Jordan converted to Judaism. So Simon, our grandson, is going to experience Hanukkah and Christmas every year. I mean, what could be better than that, right? Amazing. Mazel tov. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, and I know a book I'm going to have to get for him now. What's it called? Miracles and Menorahs. Okay, I've got it. So, yeah. But my favorite interfaith book, I would recommend Jennifer Grayson's Holidays in Manhattan, um, which is published in 2019 which is a story, which is a great story about the holidays in New York. Uh, the female main character celebrates Christmas. The main male character celebrates Hanukkah. And it's just a beautiful story about both holidays and how they intertwine in, um, in New York City and some of like, the really interesting parts of the celebrations for both holidays and how they work to, how they intertwine and the joy of both of them. It's, it's just an amazing story. I love that. Becca, do you want to talk about yours or is it too secret? So it's not secret. It's just like at a very beginning <laughs> stage. Um, I mean, I've written one draft. I'm working on the second draft. But the main idea is that there are two Jewish characters who kind of fall in love and bond over a Christmas album. <laughs> they both like love this <laughs> this Christmas Scott album. <laughs> so yeah, I also kind of like Stacy. This was not what I usually write or what I started writing. I just finished. So my first um, my debut novel came out in August and is like very serious, kind of heavy. Um, and then I just turned in a nonfiction manuscript that's like about some very heavy issues about the punk scene in North Central West Virginia and like sexual assault and race and drugs. And so I was listening to romance to give myself a break from the heaviness. And then I decided I wanted to write it. And like holiday romance was like the epitome of that. <laughs> like, like what you were saying, it's the happiest. It feels the best. Um, so that's how I kind of fell into it. And I'm really enjoying it so far. But this is my first foray into this kind of writing. So I'm really happy to be here to learn from the two of you. Yeah, that's cool. And both of you write not just holiday fiction, right? We, we're, you're, we're not going to put you like in a holiday box and you can only write holiday. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my friend said, Landis, if you write one more book where lawyers save Christmas, you know, you're going to drive me crazy. And it's like, okay, well, I, I won't, there no, there's no Christmas tree in my next book, I, you know, and there's no Christmas story, but uh, I'm, I'll probably go back someday because, you know, it's like anything else too. Look, every, I know, I know Stacy thinks this, you know, 
there's going to be a Hanukkah every year. There's going to be a Christmas every year. That's a great time to sell your books, right? This is true. Also, like, there are so many different stories. There's so many different stories to tell within that context, right? Like, because Christmas or Hanukkah doesn't look the same for every single family who celebrates it. Or even any other holiday that you're talking about. No one, yeah, you know, people follow generally, like, the things that, you're supposed to do on those holidays, but no one actually ever does the same way. No one ever has the same experience. And so there are tons of stories to talk about. Like Love and Lockies came out in October. It's nothing like Miracles and Menorahs. All they share is a holiday. And I have sitting in the back of my head, a possible idea for a fourth book. So we'll see, but like, it isn't the only thing I write about. You know, I've written hockey stories. I've written politics. I've written a little bit of mix of both. You know, it's fun to sort of mine those pieces of life, really, and turn them and turn them into stories. Whether you're writing fiction or whether you're writing a romance, it, it's you know, or nonfiction even. Like those little bits and pieces of of things that tie together turn into fantastic stories. Well, something I wanted to ask. I don't know either of your paths toward publication, but you say that it's great to market your books around the holidays, but I'm wondering about those who want to quarry their books. Do you think it's best to try to quarry agents around the holidays with your holiday, <laughs> with your holiday work? Or do you think like any time of year they're looking for it? Or do you maybe, like I was thinking, maybe they get sick of it around December because <laughs> everybody's sending it to them. Or I, I can say this, I, I, I did not query uh, because I fell into it by accident. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I was just writing for fun. I wanted to write a story. I'm still practicing law. And it wasn't until the story, it actually was a Christmas gift for my family. You would have thought I gave them socks or something, you know, for Christmas, you know, but once they got over that and they started showing it to other people and they said, well, you know, this, this, you might do something with this. Then I reached out, found an editor. And because I was, you know, where I was, I didn't really want to go through a long drawn out query process because I wanted to write another one and then another one. So, uh, but I would say probably the season is so busy with so many things that if you're going to query, it's going to take a while anyway, probably not right at Christmas, you know, is, is probably not the time to do it. So when I was querying miracles, um, I did it, I, I got ready for a couple of pitch events, uh, kiss pitch, Pitch mad, pitch mad, and then there was something else. And I think, I think actually Hallmark um, had opened for submissions, and I think Karina pitched too. So I wanted the book to be done and ready to go by all of those things, and that's what informed my querying. The process didn't end until like everything, like let's see, first acceptance in March um, of the book. Uh, first editorial acceptance of the book in March. Agent acceptance didn't come until May, um, which, which is a whole other story entirely. And then contract was not signed until July. So like it was November, December, but like you can send them out anytime. Like publishing shut shuts down, I want to say from like, you know, the 25th all the way to like after January. So like you know, right after January or right before everything, like, you know, see what's going on, see what, where you want to send your book and you have, and be prepared to send it for those things, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So maybe we want to talk to 
an agent, if any if any of you are out there listening, when do you like to hear about your holiday stories? I'm curious. I don't think they they don't really answer queries in like like Stacy said like after the 25th like they just go into hibernation mode. <laughs> well, then maybe that leads me to another question that I wanted to ask you, agents and writers. Um, how do you get yourself into the holiday mindset and the holiday spirit, the times when you're working on your books that are not around that time of year? Yeah. So for me, as I said, it did, the first one started out in the holiday season. So, you know, that time period when Thanksgiving through Christmas, and that was easy because I was starting to get in the mood, but then, you know, I'm rewriting in the off season. I'm starting my next book in the off season. And really I would liken it to, any kind of plot you're going to develop. I mean, you can, you can close your door and close your shades and put yourself in that space in, in a heartbeat. And it doesn't matter what time of year it is. And actually you come out of it feeling pretty good. You know, it feels kind of like, you know, the holidays. You listen to like music from the holiday as well. Does that help? <laughs> I absolutely did. I have playlists of all sorts. I have playlists for every single one of my books um, during um, the middle to the end of 2020, I developed the habit of walking outside in the backyard. I had walked a track into the backyard when it was, you know, safe enough weather. I live in New York. So needless to say, it's not necessarily always the best thing to do going outside in the middle of winter, but nevertheless, um, I would listen to my playlists and I would walk myself into the story and I would think about what I was doing. Um, when I was doing, when I was writing Love and Lockets, it was in April, like March, April, like May or June. Like it was the summertime. So I was like listening and a little bit later than that. So I was listening to Hanukkah music to try to get myself into the mood of like, you know, of, of writing this book. And um, I also, um, there were some like love and life is a cooking competition book so like um during copy edits i was able to listen to i was able to like watch um guys grocery games hanukkah delivery edition the joy of that was so much fun it put me right in the mood to edit my hanukkah cooking competition story i was like yes please you know um i also um when i was doing proofreads for the book, I was actually visiting very close friends in Virginia who had just gotten um, a smoker. And part of the um, part of the book is a is kosher barbecue. And so, of course, like I needed to learn a lot about like you know the wood chips and like how everything worked and the temperatures and all the things. So like my friends were very happy, willing like experimenters and assisters. My friend Marnie and her husband Pete were fantastic and taught me all the things. And then we ate everything. It was great. Um, so I was able to be accurate. And like, and but again, like all of these little things, you know, doing the research for the book is another thing that puts you in the mood. Like, so you've got the playlist, you've got like, you know, scents, you've got, you know, some people use scents, I don't. Um, but like I've got my playlist, I've got my story, I've got like my inspirational sort of videos and things that I could think about. It was, it was, so it was, it was just a great and fun experience. And I did that for both Miracle. Well, the edits for Miracles, because the edits of Miracles took off, was, were off season, but like Love and Lock is, was entirely off season, which is great. So. so I didn't have a playlist, but I felt the playlist in my head when I'm writing, you know, there's some different scenes and then may be walking down the streets and it starts to snow and you start to hear jingle bells, right? Or something, you know, in the background. 
And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that uh, kind of, again, as I say, you sort of immerse yourself, you know, in that, in that time. And for me, since I was writing these sort of, I wouldn't call them legal thrillers, a sort of legal thr thriller lights because they're set in the courtroom and we're putting Christmas on trial and you got people that believe in Santa and those who don't. And, you know, if, the, if they don't win the trial, Christmas won't come for all the little boys and girls and stuff like that. And so I'm watching movies like My Cousin Vinny because my, my story is kind of, one, one of my viewers said my story is kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street. It's that hopeful ending, but it's that humorous path to get there. And I just like the combination of humor and joy. And I think, you know, most writers like to find themselves in that zone, you know? <laughs> and so that's kind of, it's in my head. I can't have too much music going on around me while I write, but it sort of percolates. Stacey, I love, you said something about walking yourself into the story. I really love that, that imagery. Especially during like the early period, like especially for History of Us, which is not a holiday book. It's a summer book. So like, you know, in writing a summer book in April, like thinking about like, you know, the, the times to come, like, what was I listening to? What's on this playlist? You know, walking with my jacket on in like the early March, like trying to get myself into the book, like trying to like think about summer, trying to think about like what this book could be in summertime. And like, and it was, you know, it was so much fun to like put myself sort of mentally in the space of the small town of Long Island that I had created, you know, and still, and be so, and be there from my house in, in, in you know, where I live in Tarrytown and, you know, on the other side of the state. So it's important, I think, when you're, you know, when you're writing like these locations, like to try to sort of like, again, like find, as you were saying, Lynn, it's like finding those little things, like whether it's like a snowfall, whether it's a store, whether it's a store, whether it's a smell, whatever it is, like to try to find those reasons to get yourself into the story. I think one of the, one of the other questions that we had to like, because it's that time of the year, you know, people are looking for that at that time of the year. Do you find that like readership and fandom, I suppose, does that drop off? Like, do you see like this huge surge in your readers specifically looking for holiday? I know that I work at the library and we like, it's like clockwork the week before Thanksgiving, everyone's like, we need the holiday books out and the, all the, the holiday movies. So we put everything out and, you know, that's when people want it. And then after Christmas, you know, like after the first week of January, everything goes back into storage. <laughs> so how do you deal with that surge, I suppose? So I'll just, I'll just say that, um, uh sister-in-law would watch the Hallmark Channel year-round if she could, you know, because there's all those happy stories on there. I think it's kind of cool that the that the bookstores locally around here where I live and then some other people, they bring them back out every year. You know, they might not keep them on the shelf 12 months, but, you know, a lot of times if you have a book, it might go up and it'll stay up for a while and then they'll stick it in the way back. Well, they'll bring my book back out front again every year. <laughs> every November and December. So that's a good, that's kind of good. I like that, you know, and I just work on other things uh, in, in the off season there. Miracles and Menorahs has been out a year and I'm, I'm getting now like the excitement of people reading it for the first time because they heard about it at a certain point and they were saving it for Hanukkah. And then, you know, there are two other books in the series, including, yet another, you know, another Hanukkah book. So like, it's, 
you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to see like the new readership like a year later. And I'm like, I, you know, it's kind of amazing that my little, you know, the little book that you wrote like a year before, you know, however long before is like a perennial kind of a favorite. And I think, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, they put it, they put the book in the back, but if it's still available a year later, if it's still, you know, accessible a year later, they're going to pull it out again because it's, because yeah, Hanukkah, holiday stories in general, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or another or another holiday that people might be celebrating, whether it's Diwali, um, you know, they're perennial. Like there's always going to be a holiday season. And, and the other thing I'd add, and y'all do a lot of this on the on your podcast here, where you talk to indie authors about what they do. And I'm learning a lot more now than I knew six or seven years ago when I wrote the first book. And I didn't know anything then, which was you know try to write a good book and then I put it out without any real advance anything, you know. And now I'm learning about all the things you can do uh, with the uh, online marketing and the online promotion. So we're doing things now like my trilogy is now in a little ebook box set and it's out this month for like 99 cents and a whole bunch of more people are downloading it now, which to me is really cool because you're going to get more readers that way. People, more people find the story. And that's really all it was about for me anyway, is trying to get the stories out and get people to read them. And so um, having that opportunity every year, try to come up with another clever little way to pitch your books kind of fun yeah exactly like it's kind of amazing right talking about um the indie market generally speaking like the hockey series that i do with isabel kelly and kenzie mclear and then cassandra carr was in the first one um is a is a uh, you know indie published um anthology series about the hockey team called the new york empires and they appear in each of the book like each of my books in like small you know in my in these guys um, in conversations and otherwise. And Isabel Kelly was telling me like, apparently what's been happening is randomly, like they'll, like she'll notice sales of the trilogy, you know, going all in, icing the puck and wrapping it into three bucks. And like, literally it's randomly. And it's because someone has read either Miracles or History or Love and Lockets and saw the references to the empires and went, oh, wow, it's a team. It's a, you know, it's a thing. And then go and buy the whole series, which is great. You know? Yeah. And that, and that's what I, I've learned. And I've told other authors, they say, well, how do I sell my first book? And I say, well, write your next book. Exactly. You know? And then write your next book after that. And then write your next book after that. And then you'll start selling your first book. You'll sell it like really, really sell it then. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that too. You know, build a strong backlist and then you'll always have it. Uh, I wanted to talk about craft a little bit. Could you, maybe for somebody who's new to writing holiday stories, could you tell us like, what are the things a reader is going to expect in any holiday story? So it all depends on what kind of holiday story you're writing. And I'm not just talking about the holiday because the genre expectations, the subgenre expectations are going to remain the same, no matter what, no matter like what kind of story you're writing, you need to be true to the genre expectations. Once you sort of have decided that and dealt with that, then you go into the holiday and what holiday are you, are you writing about? And one of the things I think about you know, the first question you have to ask yourself is, is this a holiday everybody knows or is this not a holiday everybody knows? And the answer to that question is going to shape the story on a big level. If, if, it's a, if it's a holiday like Hanukkah or Christmas, you don't really have to explain the holiday because the story itself, at least in my, and Landis, you can, you know, you can, you can jump in on this, but like, you don't have to explain the holiday because it's already known in the story. Like it's already a known and understood quantity. 
when you start to think about other holidays that people don't necessarily understand so much, like I actually wrote a story um, for last year's Love All Year Anthology, um, which is an amazing project put together by Elizabeth Kahn and a whole bunch of really cool people that centers really amazing um, non-Christian non holidays, basically. It's, just, it's, it's a really cool anthology. And like this year's, this year's, this year's edition is out. But I had, a, as I said, I had a story in last year's edition about a holiday called Sukkot which is a harvest holiday which like which is a known and understood holiday to certain people but it is not a known and understood holiday to my general expected readership for the story which meant in order to write a good Sukkot romance I not only had to conform to the expectations of the romance you know, an HEA or an HNFN for this couple at the end of the short, but also explain what Sukkot was because otherwise the story wouldn't work. So I had to kind of tie in the explanation and that took up page space, but it was important because otherwise, you know, otherwise the story wouldn't work. So, okay. So genre, genre expectations, holiday expectations. And as long as you satisfy both of those, like in the course of the story, you know, I think, I think that's really it. Landis, if you, do you have any? Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, there are different types of books that use the holidays. Sometimes they use them as a background. I mean, there's, you can see thousands of romance books out there that use the holidays as kind of a background, but they stick to the romance. Uh, I don't want to call it a formula, whatever the, you know, whatever they expect in that, in that particular genre. But you can, you can actually, as I think as long as you're writing, a good story and using the story elements that is you've got interesting characters, you've got a good story arc, you know, your characters change. And then the thing about the holidays is, and I saw this in uh, Stacy's title miracles. Well, you know, my book is Santa Claus and stuff, but it is, there are miracles involved. Right. And, you know, Stacy, she mentioned that, you know, everybody knows what, Christmas is what Hanukkah is. Everybody knows who Santa Claus is, but do they know the backstory? Do they know, you know, yeah. what's really going on in your, in your plot? And, you know, kids believe, and we know that adults don't. And my book is about true believers. And a true believer is an adult who believes in Santa Claus, right? And so are there any true believers out there? And really, I think if you can tap into a reader's emotions to where they can think back to when they were younger, and experience that joy of that time. And I think that's what holiday books to some extent do. They, they sort of transport our older selves back in time. I love that idea that readers of holiday books are more like open and like ready to be open to the miraculous. I think that's pretty cool. Um, Stacey, do you have any advice for people? As soon as you started saying like, you have to tie in an explanation of what the holiday is, like how to do that subtly without it being just like exposition, like this is a story of whatever, and like how to tie it in more seamlessly with, with the plot. So with Three Stars in the Sky, Three Stars in the Sky was the story that I did for the Love Your Anthology last year. It was tied into kind of every aspect of the story. So like the characters felt the character, he's a, the main male character was a musician. The main female character was a songwriter. And the story is that he is trying to basically apologize to her for a whole bunch of things that he did when they were younger. Um, and also like 
maybe get a song out of her for his new album, which is, which is the song is the more, is the, you know, very obvious thing, but like what he really wants is to apologize and sort of see if they can pick up where they left off all those years ago. So like, cause they, so they wrote a song about Sukkot together when they were kids. And so literally she's talking, like they sing the song. So like you get the, the words and the understanding of what it is. You know, there's a, um, a, there's a sukkah that shows up, which is the traditional, you know, three, which is the hut, which has like the open roof there. And so they're talking about that. Oh my God, is that what I think it is? Like, oh my God, it's a sukkah, you know, like having the characters talk about the elements of the holiday in ways that matter to the story, but are also explanation at the same time, which is, which is the biggest part of it, especially considering like how little page space that story was like, as opposed to miracles where like, I could go right past eight days of lights, you know, and, and candle lighting and go right into applesauce or sour cream. And are we supposed to like, you know, publicly make this huge menorah in the middle of the town square or like, just keep it private, put our menorah in the window, literally. Like what is, you know, that with miracles or like in Love and Lockers, like excellent, you know, we can talk about, you know, we've already explained in miracles and menorahs that like all you need to make a Hanukkah food is frying your oil. But like in Love and Lockers, we take that to, to, you know, level 200 where like we get to talk about all the different cultures in the world and what they do for Hanukkah food. And oh yes, and we'll have lockers and, you know, applesauce and sour cream and do you, great or do you put it in a food processor and talking about kosher food and all that kind of stuff and like but it's all tied into Hanukkah and like you know this idea of like how you celebrate like sort of going you know past like this is what this holiday is versus like how we celebrate it the joy of like seeing a menorah in the town square like what does that mean to someone like how hard you know how joy is that makes someone feel or not depending on how you like to celebrate the holiday you know there's or like what you know what aspects of the holiday are important so and and i would add to that as you're thinking about explaining if that's probably not the right way but infusing into the narrative you know something about the holiday it's nice to juxtapose the positions of different characters about the holiday and create conflict because every good every good novel has conflict, right? And so the conflict in my books have to do with those who believe and those who don't. You know, well, why don't they believe? And then why do they believe? Yeah. And then who's going to be right in the end? And that kind of helps to push the story along. It also adds for some conflict, some humor, and that kind of thing. And, and that can be in any kind of holiday book. You could have somebody who's, you know, down on the holiday for whatever reason. Maybe something happened in their past on the holiday that that makes them not want to celebrate, but someone else in the story, assuming we're headed toward a happy ending, helps bring them along, right? <laughs> and, and, and change that arc. The arc of miracles was my main female character, you know, wears menorah earrings. It has Hanukkah, like wears Hanukkah, like her armor it turned, has turned it into sort of this fundamental aspect of identity. So clearly she wants this rather large menorah in the middle of the town square as part of the Hanukkah festival, right? She wants to celebrate Hanukkah with every inch of her body in the most public way possible because she thinks it's, it's a holiday of identity. She thinks that it's cultural. It's that it's important. Whereas for the main male character who 
Um, his grandmother loves the idea of this festival and this public celebration of Hanukkah. He doesn't like that idea at first. You know, he he's he's the one who's going to end up having to make this menorah if he decides to. But what he likes about the holiday isn't the publicness. It's the family. It's sitting around the table eating crispy latkes, you know, spinning dreidels, you know, in front of the fireplace, opening presents every night, you know, having those moments with your family. And like, they're both valid ways of celebrating Hanukkah, you know, and, and that conflict sort of sits all the way through miracles. And like, how does that work? I, I don't want to spoil so much, but like the idea of where is your family? What is your family? You know, is it your community? It absolutely can be your community and standing up and being the light in the darkness with a huge menorah in the middle of town square, you know, saying you are loved, you are welcomed, you are accepted, you are part of the community. Like that's, 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 that's miracles. That's the, that's, you know, that's the essence of, of what miracles was. Because I'd seen all of those stories that you were talking about, Landis, this idea of like, you know, and I wanted to kind of explore, because when you talk about Christmas, right, you talk about who believes, who doesn't, like, where is that part? And so I kind of, I thought about like what the fundamental question for Hanukkah was these days, like what that sort of knee deep sort of, you know, majorly deep question about Hanukkah was. And it's literally this. It's literally that question of, is it public or private? And what does it mean to literally put a menorah in a public place or put it, you know, like, you know, when people talk about like putting a menorah in your window, which, that's, which is which is the commandment, like, what does that mean? Does that mean literally in your window or does that actually, or does that mean like celebrating it as publicly as possible, you know, versus love and latkes, which does not have that conflict. You know, there's kind of shades of it, like sort of acknowledging that, not everybody has to wear like Hanukkah as armor. Not everybody has to wear Hanukkah as a portion of their identity, but some people do and some people, and it's important, you know, um, Sarah, who's the heroine of Miracles of Nora, is just like that. Batya, who's the heroine of Love and Luck, is, is not like that. So, yeah, that, that's interesting for, for me. I, I wasn't taking on Christmas from a religious standpoint. I wish I could say I, I had more forethought here, but somebody asked me one time, if there was any hidden meaning in my stories, you know, because these characters are dealing with this question of belief and also belief in things that they can't see, feel, or touch. And so, yeah, possibly if somebody wants to interpret that way, they can. But for me, it was taking the establishment, which is kind of what you see in Miracle on 34th Street and what you see in a lot. The establishment is not going to believe a man who thinks he works for Santa Claus, who's being put on trial for stealing a flash drive that he says holds the key to Christmas and who's not taking his lawyer's advice not to stick to that story. <laughs> and so the judge has to be put in the awkward position right before Christmas of deciding once this courtroom's filled with people, is he going to shut down Christmas in the eyes of all the witnesses or is or, or has something happened in the course of the trial that's going to change his mind? But actually, the most fun I had with it was I wrote the first book, Criminal Trial. I wrote the second book, The Legally Binding Christmas, which was a condemnation. It was a house on the outskirts of town. It involved Santa distribution system. The county was trying to condemn it. And, you know, different character, different client. But there's always this evildoer in the first two. He's, he's a... He's a, he's a 
dwarf, he, you know, we know who he works for, but he denies it. And, you know, so the whole time he's trying to scuttle what the lawyers are doing to save Christmas. It doesn't make any sense. It's not until the third book, The Christmas Redemption, that I realized that in a three book set, I could have the arc of the evildoer. And I won't give anything away, but you kind of know where it's heading. He's going to help save Christmas in the third book, you know. So you're saying people kind of ask for the hidden meaning um, in a religious sense. But when I hear that and then knowing your background, I'm interested in the symbolism of like the establishment or like maybe the law world trying to steal your <laughs> steal the miraculous <laughs> from you <laughs> or steal your wonder. We do that all the time in the legal field. Tamp down enthusiasm, tamp down emotion. You know, we're, we're always a half glass full. And I say that because lawyers are always looking, you know, for those things that can go wrong, right? I mean, it's an unhappy, it gets to be an unhappy profession. A lot of lawyers really suffer from depression and we deal with a lot of issues because we're always trying to look for those things that, that will go bad for our client to warn them about what they need to do to fix it. But it's not a very great formula for living your life, right? To, to always be looking for the negative. So I thought I'm going to step out of that role for a little bit and look for the positive. I think that says a lot um, about what readers are looking for in these books, too. Like what we were talking about before, people are looking for a way to step out of maybe like the negative mindset that's around us so much of the time. And Stacy, like in your book particularly, I was immediately struck by, you know, this town board committee who was just like we need to be more inclusive let's not forget about christmas and it's like you start to feel you know i'm not i don't celebrate hanukkah but i can totally understand where you're coming from i want to learn about hanukkah i want to learn about other holidays i'm christmas you know is whatever it's christmas but so i could just feel the tension from the first page and you know, how do you feel when it's just like, it's always about Christmas? You know, how do you kind of deal with that in your everyday life and in your fiction? So, I mean, you know, you think that like, so my the heroine of Miracles and Menorahs is a bookseller. You know, she works for the library and she works for the local bookstore. Um, and as a result of all of that, she, as I said, she wears Hanukkah as armor. There is, you know, she loves like random like bits of Hanukkah merchandise. She loves like she has a large Hanukkah hat, which appears towards the end of the book um, in a very fun and pivotal scene that is pretty much a menorah you place on your head. Um, you know, like she she embodies Hanukkah as best she can, not because not just because, again, she likes the holiday. But because during this time of year, when sometimes even saying happy holidays is hard, she takes, she takes pride in her Jewish identity and she takes pride in the holiday she celebrates. And I think like, not gonna lie, like part of that experience of Sarah's kind of came from my own. Um, I love celebrating Christmas with friends. I love decorating their trees. I love sharing their traditions. But at the same time, 